Welcome to TMI Today with Rita Bocuzzi and Jen Lee. In this podcast, there is no such thing as too much information. We are diving into all of the taboo topics from money and careers to relationships and parenting to whatever else we've been too afraid to discuss as women. Listen in and join the movement as we raise each other up in our everyday lives. Welcome, everyone. I am so super excited to be here. I'm Rita Bakutsi, also known as Mama Rita Money, and we have Jen Lee, financial stress relief attorney extraordinaire, I like to say, because she is not your typical attorney. And I just love her. You know, how many people get to say that they love an attorney? I do. <laughs> she is so much fun and makes life so joyful. And then we put together TMI, today's motivational insights. <laughs> you know, we like to have a play on words, too much information. We don't believe that you can ever have enough information when it comes to our life skills that we get to implement. And we get to bring amazing experts to you like Robin Guinea, who Jen is going to introduce shortly <laughs> so that this way we can all level up and flourish financially together and step into our greatness and into our power to be empowered. So Jen, please introduce Robin. Thanks, Rita. Robin, Robin Guinea is a partner at Heart Guinea and Robin is a divorce attorney, but she's not your typical divorce attorney. Robin is an expert at extracting people from bad situations and helping people figure out the next steps forward, especially when it comes to a partner who may be abusive and that kind of thing. Robin is an expert fighter for those types of people. So if you identify with anything Robin says today, please definitely reach out for resources because it's it's a hard topic when we're talking about how do you know when to leave and how do you do that when it comes to your marriage? So thank you for being here, Robin. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about yourself. I, I introed you, but tell us how you kind of got to be this, this fighter for, for people who are in difficult situations. When I was in college, I was actually studying to be, a, I wanted to profile criminals for the FBI. I wanted to be a forensic profiler. So that was sort of where I was headed. And I did a lot of volunteering at crisis centers, uh, domestic violence shelters, rape crisis centers, that sort of thing. We worked a lot with the police uh, to sort of be sort of psychological triage for anything that happened. I sort of did Thursday night to Tuesday morning. So if, if there was some sort of violent occurrence that needed somebody to come in and sort of like okay this is where we are this is what we're doing this is the next step maybe we go to the hospital together maybe I take you to the shelter that sort of thing so I did that for a number of years and I thought I was going to go into psychology and then I had a couple of instances where I thought you know I'd rather be on the putting people away side I'd rather be on the law side than the trying to fix people who are broken side So I ended up going to law school thinking that I didn't want to do two things, uh, tax and family law. (laughs) I was very (laughs) insistent that I was going to come out and maybe be a DA, uh, work some sort of in the criminal, maybe work for a nonprofit working with domestic violence like that. And then in law school, my third year, I got an internship with just a fantastic family law attorney who I'm still in touch with in Morgan Hill, who taught me that really family law is sort of like the general practice of law. 
it's a little bit of tax. <laughs> it's actually a lot of tax, <laughs> which I actually like now. It's a lot of psychology. It's a lot of psychology. And it's, you know, some trial, it's criminal, it's property, it's personal injury. Everything gets drawn in in this context of a divorce. So it just seemed like a really good fit for me. And I've been loving doing it. I've been doing it for 20 years now. I did special education also for a little while, for about four or five years. So I have some sort of insight into IEPs and how so often kids in abusive relationships need support at school. And that's one of the things that we'll see is that there's some sort of behavioral plan in place for the kids. There's uh, some support being provided for the kids because they need that because they're not getting it at home. So that's one okay. of the important too. So one of the questions I have, and as an audience member listening to this, and you kind of have that gut feeling, like, I think something's wrong. Mm. How, what are like the warning signs? Like, how does someone know when their marriage, you know, when they should get out that or they shouldn't be treated like this, I guess that's kind of what I see people coming around to is like, this isn't normal. That, uh, that's such an important question because so often I talk to people as they come in and, and the overriding question is, how did I get here? Yeah. Because I am a, a strong, independent, successful woman, or at least I was before I met this guy. And, it, and it's not always a man. It's, it's not always, you know, the woman being abused and, and the man sort of being as the abuser. But a lot of the clients that I see happen to be women. We have actually a couple of men in this sort of a similar dynamic, but it's most domestic violence is insidious. It's so hard to recognize when it happens to, to them personally, mm -hmm. because it's so different from the dynamic that they're used to. Yeah. And so many people find themselves coming from really stable homes, really good, close families, and they meet this one person and get drawn into that world. And being drawn into that world typically means that there are some warning signs, like you say. One mm -hmm. of the biggest warning signs is isolation. Okay. It's, we don't want you to talk to your family. We don't, I don't like your friends. I think your mom is a bad influence. Um, your brother is a horrible person. It starts like that. It starts with, I don't think they're good for you because I think they're undermining you and you should be treated better than that. Hmm. So it sort of plants the seed of doubt that, well, maybe I shouldn't, or maybe they aren't, or maybe he's right. So it's not that, that, that you're ever asked to no longer keep in contact with your friends or family. It's just sort of easier not to. Okay. And often any conversations that you have with friends or family uh, are, are supervised, you know, mm. so many of us will take a call and sort of go into the other room and like, I don't want to be rude. I'm just going to like over here. If you're in a relationship with somebody who's controlling, they're right there, right next to you. So there's no conversation about, you know, we had this really awful fight, or I just don't think that this is right. Or, and so often we need somebody to, to bounce our gut ideas off of. You know, like, is it me? Is it, did I do this? Or is it 
him. And that's the point of the isolation is that they don't want you to have somebody to tell you, no, 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 that's not how this is. Mm-hmm. So that happens a lot. And it's so hard to see because all you see is the friend just, just distancing away. And I think everybody, when they get into relationships, sort of, you know, that right. the person they're in a relationship that they focus on that, that becomes their priority. So it's not entirely unusual to see somebody drifting away when they get into a new relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to see that. How about other warning signs besides the isolation? What, what else could someone be thinking in their head? Oh, this isn't right. This isn't normal. So in a healthy relationship, you're able to say this thing that you did bothered me. When, when you said this, it made me feel this way. And then you have a conversation about it. And usually it's sort of, I didn't mean to make you feel this way. Let me understand why you feel this way. Let's work together so that I don't hurt you again. But in these sorts of sort of insidious abuse, emotional abuse situations, it's always your fault. It's Mm. always your fault. So when you say, when when you said this thing, it, it made me feel this way, instead of, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you get, well, you don't have the right to feel that way because you made me feel this way. And that's the difficult paradigm to understand is that that person is always the victim. Okay. And you are always the one victimizing them. And that never changes. They are always the center of everything. And it's always you who are being asked to make the changes to satisfy them, but it's like pouring all of your energy into a black hole because there's no bottom to it. There's no, suddenly they're like, okay, you know, I, I feel stronger and I'm able to do this myself. It's, it's, it's a sort of a, an emotional vampire, you know, they will suck all of your energy out. Is that what the feeling is or what I, the, what I'm thinking of is when you say something to somebody and they immediately say, well, you made me do that. Like your behavior, the be- because you said that I, you know, hit you or something like that. You made me do right. that. Is that blaming? Is that kind of what you see? It kind of is. And I, but that's a very obvious thing. Right. Right. That's, right? I was going very extreme with it, but yeah. yes. And physical abuse tends to be that way. Okay. Like you, you got me so angry by what you did that I had to, that I had to hit okay. you. Mm-hmm. But physical abuse is so much easier to draw the line and say, okay, that right there, when mm-hmm. you hit me, I know that that is wrong. Okay. I know that. But emotional abuse, there's no, there's no hit. There's no one thing that you can point to and say, oh, that, that right there, that was too long. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's the deflecting and the gaslighting. And everybody has heard that term gaslighting, but gaslighting is really the making you second guess okay. what, what your position is mm-hmm. and how you feel. Like, do I have the right to feel upset? Because they're obviously much more hurt than I am, but I thought I was the one that was wrong. So how is it that this is all about them again? Uh-huh. So it's like the rewriting of history. Like the it's gaslighting the rewriting is- of history. Okay. Yes. And it's a history that, what is apparently yours, but you don't remember any of that history going that way at all. And, and people 
in these relationships often get the sort of Alice in Wonderland thing where, where they're having a discussion and they think that they're having a discussion about one thing and the person on the other side is, is completely in a different world. And all of the behavior that you have done that is fairly normal and rational, like for example, talking to the barista at Starbucks, right? How many people go to Starbucks and they get a coffee and you sort of chat with the barista because you're there and you're human and you know, you're waiting for your drink and it's sort of like, how's your day? And, oh, that's a cute hat or whatever. You know, you just, because we're human and we make chit chat. If you do that in a relationship with somebody who, who is abusive and emotionally abusive, you won't hear about it at that time. But at some point in the future, you will hear, well, you, you hit on the barista every time you see that, that barista. Mm. It doesn't matter if they're male or female, you, you're hitting on the barista. You can't be trusted. Every time we go out in public, you're hitting on somebody. You always do this. You need attention. You are, you know, maybe you're hypersexualized, whatever it is. It's, it's, and then in it's your weird. reality, you're thinking, I was just chatting. I don't even remember that barista. I was just chatting to somebody because I was friendly and it's a totally different world. This is a different world. Yeah. Being the money gal, my question is, how does money come into play mm. with money control or mm-hmm. how does that work on both sides, right? The person, the controller or the person that is yeah. the uh, victim in, the, in this type of scenario? So we'll see generally what happens is that the abusive one becomes the controller of everything. And that's easier in a marriage, um, not as easy when they're not married, but generally in a, in a marriage, I'll see over time, because everything is very slow over time, so you don't really see that it's happening. It's just sort mm-hmm. of an effect. Um, it starts out with part of the isolation, especially in, in really abusive situations, is, well, you shouldn't be going to work. You don't, you don't need to work. For whatever I got this, and a lot of abusers are very high earn- earners. They're they're high income, so it's possible that yeah, the woman doesn't have to work. Maybe she stay home with the kids. Also, not unusual, you know, if you have the option to stay home and raise your kids, most women would rather do that. Um, but also, this there's this underlying: if you have a job, then you're not isolated because then you're talking to people at your job, and I can't control. You that. can't supervise it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Got it. So, there's that sort of dynamic too. But when the woman, typically the woman becomes reliant on that income, then it's the, typically we'll see all of the accounts in his name. She has no idea what exists. Uh, He pays the mortgage, he pays the utilities, he pays for everything. So she's just sort of maintaining the household. Um, Often we'll see a lot of, she'll get like an ATM card or a credit card with really low limit, like $250. Hmm. And this is what you do to buy groceries. And if you need more than $250 to buy the groceries, then you need to explain to me why you're being so unfrugal, not why I should be giving you more because of inflation, but you need to be doing a better job because I'm working so hard to provide for the family and you're not doing your responsible part by trying to, to keep costs lower. 
So there's that sort of dynamic of if you need more, you're wrong. Mm. And it sort of overlooks this, you shouldn't be put in that position in the first place. Yeah. And that's also the sort of red herring thing. We're going to focus over here on you not being frugal so that you never get to ask me why it is that you don't have access to all of the funds in the first place. We're going to focus entirely over here. Yeah. yeah. So I want, because I want to, I know we have, we could talk about this for days and days and days. There's all kinds of stuff here. What can women or people do who are in this situation? How, what's their first step that they have to take to get to someone like you? What's that look like? That looks like a leap of faith. Okay. It really is because the, the women that I see come in are in one of two positions. Either they're just starting this process and they're completely terrified. Mm-hmm. Or they started the process a couple of years ago and it's just this never ending thing and they don't know how to get done with it. And so I'll see both of those coming in. Initially, when I get a call from somebody who, who says that they think they might be in an abusive relationship, not really sure, but they do know that when they leave, they're going to be completely cut off financially. They're going to get kicked out of the house and they're going to lose custody of the kids. That sounds pretty abusive. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But it's their dynamic, Mm -hmm. right? And they've been taught so long. This is you. This is your fault. You did this. You're responsible for this. You're not good enough. And the overriding sort of impression they have is they're going to mess this up too. Mm -hmm. You're going to hire the wrong attorney. You're going to leave me and nobody else is going to want you. Um, I'm going to get the kids because you're mentally unstable. All of those emotional outbursts that you had when you thought that something was unfair, but you didn't know how to voice it, all of that's going to be held against you. So these women are convinced that they're going to lose everything. And that's that leap. That's that leap of faith of, but at least I will be, I'll be me again. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to figure out who I am. And I recognize that I may be facing all of these challenges. So are there tips like when someone you're going into a relationship, mm-hmm. like the prevention part of it, like, so mm-hmm. that this way, because I, I can see that the slippery slope sliding down, it can be very easy. Like what tips or what knowledge to young women or men entering into relationships, like are the signs that they should look for before they even get into maybe a relationship with somebody? that they might be able to to see like even from a dating perspective the hallmarks of domestic violence in general is that sort of cycle of abuse right it starts out sort of like the frog to the prince to the frog to the prince they start out very nice and everything is great but the the first thing you'll notice is this lack of boundaries this We've, we've known each other for two weeks. Why don't you move in? Mm. That's, that's one of the big red flags is this lack of, of, of boundaries of jumping in wholeheartedly immediately and wanting that sense of we're right next to each other. We are entwined in each other's lives after knowing each other for a month. Mm. That's the red flag. Um, The second red flag in sort of the sort of way that these things progress is about a month or two into this sort of entwined relationship, 
typically the abuser is mentally unstable and, and has very significant issues with, with uh, self-regulation, emotional regulation. So you'll get this weird explosion, just like as if it was a physical thing, but instead of hitting you, they turn into, they have this complete emotional breakdown about any little thing. You left a cup on the counter, um, you wore the wrong shirt, uh, you talked to the barista, you didn't text them back in time. Whatever it is that any other person that you were in a relationship with previously would never have even, it would never have been a thing. All of a sudden, this little thing is a life-ending, life-altering, complete emotional breakdown. And that's what's so insidious about it is that if you're coming from a place where you've never dealt with somebody like that, it's, it's terrifying mm -hmm. because here you have this person that you're in this relationship with, and it's usually very intense. They're having a complete meltdown and it's apparently your fault. And you had no idea that you were such a horrible person. And there's that's that first red flag that if you get this sort of inconsolable emotional breakdown this early in the relationship that seems like it's not rational, it's not rational. That's the second red flag. Yeah, so you get to trust yourself. Trust so, yourself. Yeah. As far as resources reaching out, when would they be reaching out to you? And how, like you said, it's a leap of faith, but you know, that reach out, that ask, that's a big, but so where do they go or what can they do? What's the yeah. next best move when they even just to have a conversation, maybe? Yeah. The first conversation that I recommend is with their best friend, whoever that is, because often the best friend has seen all of this unfolding and is dying to say something, mm -hmm. but they've never been asked and they don't want to say because they see what's going on and they know that if they say anything, it's going to just maybe drive you farther away. So that's the first person that I recommend reaching out to. Um, the second person that I recommend reaching out to is maybe a therapist, but not a couples therapist. I was just going to say, talk a little <laughs> bit about not going to therapy with your abuser. Oh, uh, so that happens. So Often what happens when you're going to therapy with your abusers is, well, there's a couple of things that I, that I see a lot. One is that the abuser picks the therapist. Mm -hmm. And often this picking process is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the therapist to prime the therapist with, you know, my spouse has these problems and these issues that we're working through with her and she is hyper-reactive to everything. So I need you to help me work with her, mm -hmm. immediately identifying her as the one who needs the help. And, you know, therapists, one of the problems with working with therapists is that they are in your world with you. Right. If nobody shows them that this world is not like any other world, they don't know that. Right. So if, if the abuser can get the therapist into their world, then when they bring the abused into that world, it's a different paradigm because now the therapist is thinking, okay, this is the person who's been identified as the one who needs help in this relationship, not the one who brought me in. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes uh, what we also see in that relationship, once you get to therapy, 
is the abused doesn't want to say anything because there's not only this understanding that she is the one that has the problem that needs to be worked on, but she also knows that if she says anything different, like actually that's not what happened or well, actually he did this or actually that once they leave therapy, she's going to get completely broken down on in the parking lot, on the ride home, later that night, it's going to be a never ending gaslighting process for the next day or two to walk back everything that she said to the therapist. Mm -hmm. So the next time you go to therapy, nobody's going to say anything because she doesn't want to do that again. So she's just going to sit there and make comments about like, oh, it's a really lovely day or try to deflect on anything. And then what happens is that the abuser just ends up dominating the entire conversation. And then that just gives them more fodder to be like, see, see, she's not even cooperating in this. She's completely checked out. So it is her and I'm the victim. So that's what I see a lot happening. So individual therapy, get a a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Individual therapy, Um, co-parenting therapy is also really horrendously difficult with somebody who is intent on completely undermining you. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot. That's a common order that the court will make when, you, when you're involved in a custody dispute. 80% of the time, you can go to a, a co-parenting therapist and they will help you sort of with your communication between the two of you because mm-hmm. it's just a different communication style and that works for most people. But if you're in an abusive relationship, what that turns into is yet another opportunity for the abuser to paint themselves as the victim mm-hmm. and turn that therapist against you. And that's what happens so often. Yeah. Ooh, heavy subject. Lots. Yeah. So, <laughs> so important. Yes, we could talk about this forever, but it, I'm so excited that you, you know, bringing these things to light, they're not always easy. Mm-hmm but they're necessary. And somebody out there that hears this, that just changes their lives. Like that tip of the knowing to be individual because you are two individuals in a relationship. You're never one whole, you know, you're never going to be one whole person. You're two people in one relationship to do the therapy separately, I think is so super powerful. So Jen. So Robin, we have to wrap up. I know we could go on for days and there's so many things we can still cover, but I have to ask you, Robin. So what's one fun fact about yourself? What's, what do you want your audience to know? I I'm a big, I'm a car nerd. I I like, I like old cars. I had in high school and college, a red 68 Camaro. That was the love of my life. (laughs) I think of that fondly, like, you know, my childhood pet, (laughs) my <laughs> my 68 Camaro was like the, the the best dog ever but you know. <laughs> it's a Camaro, <laughs> it's a Camaro. Yeah. well that's right. really cool I always knew that we had that in common because I like cars too but yeah well thank you Robin so much for being here thank you for being on TMI and bringing a heavy subject to light so that people can really help themselves basically and use that information they find so thanks Robin Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.